Recovery is stupendous. Achievable. Hope. Freedom. 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 Empowering. It's unique to everyone. It's a journey, not a destination. Getting a new lease on life. Finding restoration after you fall down. Recovery is having the freedom to enjoy life. For me, it was finding a way to really love myself. My recovery is possible in part because of my own sense of purpose. Welcome to Montana's Peer Network Facebook Live event. I'm Jim Haney, Executive Director, and I'm here today with... Bill Thievel, Recovery Coach for Montana's Peer Network. And uh, we are going to be talking about recovery planning and... I think we're going to be taking sort of a different approach on it, right, Bill? We're going to kind of take a different, uh, different angle. Correct. You know, in our, in our practice, uh, you know, warm up for recovery planning, you and I took a very different approach with recovery planning. We, we didn't, we didn't, our conversation did not go down the route of, Hey, this is how you make a recovery plan. And these are the elements in the recovery plan. We took a, a very different route, and it was it was really cool. And I got I was really excited yesterday afterwards. I was like, "That's awesome!" Like we we really went in a different different direction. So I think the couple of notes that I wrote down, a couple of things, takeaways. One was when we talk about recovery planning, it really depends on where you are in your recovery, right? And then, and then you said this great thing, how invested are you in your recovery? It also depends on that. So where you are in your recovery and how actually invested. So, yeah. Um, when me and Jim were talking, I was, you know, going back to the early days of, of going down to the mental health center and meet with my case manager and seeing my provider and getting my medication and doing my groups and recovery planning wasn't something that was really even on my mind, you know? And so it took a while until I had accepted my mental health diagnosis to begin with. Cause you know, for a long time I was like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. I'm just checking the boxes off. I'm court ordered to do this. And then I don't know, it was like close to a year of going to my mental health center before I embraced, and this is going to sound odd or weird, but I embraced my diagnosis, which means mm. I fully accepted the cards that I'd been dealt, so to speak. And, and so in that moment and in that period of time, I was able to engage because, you know, for a year I was just, I don't know, I was more than a corpse, but I, you know, mm -hmm. I was just filling up space, but once I accepted it, then, then I wanted to know all about my diagnosis. I wanted to know how to fully recognize onset of symptoms. I wanted to build my toolbox. So when symptoms arose, I could, I could manage them without falling I don't want to say victim, but falling into them to where there's a long period of time of me not being in this reality. I'm in 
my diagnosis is reality, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, sure. And and so that's kind of where my mental health recovery kind of started. And it took time for me to develop an understanding that I even needed a plan or 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 a course of action, um, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of mm-hmm. how it started mm-hmm. for me. Yeah, in listening to you yesterday and today, you know, it, it just it really sort of came that whole thing about you said the thing about going to the mental health center, but I, I don't really embrace my diagnosis, right? Yeah. And it made it made me think about my own experience of going to a mental health center, but thinking I'm not like these other people. <laughs> But I'm going, right? But the reality is I'm going to the mental health center, but I'm not like yeah. these other people. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, for me, the the idea of recovery planning. So, you know, I, I committed to six days a week. I was going to do at least one thing for my recovery. That was my initial plan. And so the one thing could be, going to a therapy session. The one thing could be going to a support group. It could be journaling. It could be, uh, you know, exercising, getting, getting outside and getting active. I was really, really unhealthy physically, of course, mentally and emotionally. So that was a big part of it that I needed to get up. You know, you're depressed and you don't feel good. And the more you sit around, the worse it gets, right? So I made this commitment, but I also, I was also motivated by fear that I was going to kill myself because I had had a couple of suicide attempts, you know, been hospitalized and it's really, you know, it's, it's, it, you're sort of, I don't know. I, I think of it as it's almost paradoxical. It's like, I want to kill myself. But then one day, it, the reality sort of hit me of, you're going to kill yourself. <laughs> like, there, and there was this motivation um, to want to follow the plan of every day, do one thing, and that will be good for you. And so that was really my first recovery plan. And then, you know, you have all these different elements of you're going to the mental health center, so there's a psychiatrist and they're giving you medication. And I committed to taking the medication only because I knew I was sick. And the psychiatrist was saying, you should take this medication. <laughs> Not because I went, hey, I need some medication, right? I didn't have all the understanding at that point quite yet. So that was really for me, that was my first recovery plan was I'm going to do this and then I could sort of map out my week but it was not like hey let's sit down and write out a recovery plan right right (laughs) you know yeah yeah I know for me it's it's easier to look back at at my recovery journey and kind of see how things had been progressing and when I talked about when I kind of embraced my diagnosis, my attitude had kind of changed in my engagement at, you know, with my case manager, in my group, 
and I had peer support available to me, which I didn't utilize as much as I, I could have. And looking back at it, I, you know, it would have been a, a, a great resource to dive into. I mean, my recovery journey might've happened sooner than I kind of started. But what happened was because of my engagement and my attitude, that peer supporter that I was talking about and my case manager, you know, they have treatment team meetings and I'm pretty sure they formulated a plan for me. They would make suggestions for groups that I take. And if I wanted to stay extra long and help with the, with, with a certain class and things. And those are all things that I can look back at and understand that, you know, they saw something in me that I was totally unaware of at the time. That's what we get to do today when we're, when we're out there peer supporting and doing our thing is, is we get to see potential in people and, Mm -hmm. and help encourage Mm -hmm. them to develop a plan for their recovery and they don't even know that that's happening they guided me i was willing i took their suggestions and you know before i know it i'm in a peer support class and Mm -hmm. you know fast forward to today and here i am but it wasn't like i sat down with a piece of paper and wrote it all out and you know, in 2020, right. I'll be working for MPN, you know. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. 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 I think, you know, for me, so that initial where I was in my recovery saying, okay, I'm going to commit to doing these six days, I just kind of did it and it seemed to be working. And so I just sort of kept, kept at it. But then I had a real setback in a couple years later. So about three years later, I had, I was hospitalized again, but that experience was very different than my other experiences. And I accredit that really to the fact that I had a plan in place in case that ever happened. And, you know, just, I wasn't well. I didn't know I wasn't well until all of a sudden I wasn't well and it was well. And it was like, oh, well, you're not okay. And all I really had to do was make one phone call to sort of jumpstart that. And and I don't know, you know, that crisis part, I didn't call it the crisis part, but you know, the crisis part of my plan very quickly went into place and, you know, my counselor and and doctor. And, and so I was able to have that voice in my recovery and had a very different experience in the hospital. And, and even though I remember being in the hospital in that first couple days, being upset with myself for having this relapse, right? But then it, it, it began to dawn on me that, oh, this experience is actually much different than a few years ago where I was actively drinking and trying to kill myself. This was like preventative. And so that, that for me, when I, when I look back, is like, wow, 
having a plan really did make a significant difference in my experience, in my recovery journey. I was able to come back home, back to, you know, normal, right? Much quicker because I had these sort of the safety nets in place. And that was because I had planned it out with my counselor beforehand that it was already there. For me, that that convinced me having a plan is the way to go. And that, you know, that that's going to, that's going to help me on. And, And today I have an advanced directive for that very reason, in case something ever happened, right? So it looks like we have a question from Carol and she asks, how can a person handle or adapt to a plan that doesn't go as planned? Um, mm, and, good and question. Yeah, it's a really good question. And, and for me, you know, I like to have a plan. However, I've learned that it's good to plan but I don't expect the plan to always go as planned. I, I have to mm-hmm. leave, I have to leave mm-hmm. a little wiggle room. And, and for me, if my plan doesn't happen the way that I want, that does not equal failure. It just mm-hmm. means that mm-hmm. life, life has happened and, and I have to be able to utilize the tools that I've gotten in recovery to be able to work through some of those adversities. Um, and so a, a plan for me is kind of like a guide. Um, it just keeps me moving in the right direction. And along the way, you know, I might take an S turn or, or whatever the case might be, whatever the, the, the obstacle is that is preventing the plan to happen the way that you had seen it in your mind, it's mm-hmm. just it's just a way to learn and grow is the way that I look at yeah. those types of things. Yeah, and each of us are going to have those things happen when when we mm-hmm. plan for certain things, our recovery, all kinds of different things. Wrenches are always going to get thrown in there. And those are yeah. for me, those are opportunities to learn and grow and utilize the recovery tools that I have learned throughout the year. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to kind of say the same thing, Bill. I, I think adapt and overcome, you know, that that's a military saying, right. But life's going to throw you recovery is going to throw you, like you said, some wrenches, some obstacles, you have to adapt and overcome that the best laid plan isn't always going to work. The key is I think having a plan and knowing you're going to have to be flexible and that you can overcome that you don't have to, the plan doesn't have to be so rigid that it can't accept change because that's not healthy either, right? And when things are not going according to plan, maybe the plan needs to be adjusted. And I think one of the things that I learned is um, not not to change or analyze the plan when I'm not well. Got to be healthy, right? Like, like when I when I'm relapsed and I'm back in the hospital, that's not the time to change up the plan, 
the time to change the plan is down the road when I'm back on my feet and life's going much better. Now I can make the adjustments to it. For sure, for sure. So Bill, you and I have kind of touched on this. It's about the investment. How invested you are is key in recovery, but in specifically we're talking about in the recovery plan, really. Talk a little bit, talk a little about that, about the investment portion of it. Okay, so when did I become invested in my recovery is is key to my recovery moving in the right direction. And so that happened when, you know, at first I'm like, no, this is not my diagnosis. No, you guys are full of crap. And then over time, it became evident, undeniable evidence that, okay, so what do I do with this? Do I stay in denial? And like Jim was saying, I'm not like these people, or, or, or where do I go with that? And so, so when I became invested is when I fully accepted who I am. Um, and when I became invested, I embraced it. I, I, I like, I owned it. This is me. I, I'm going to own this. Um, now, what do I do with that? I have to, I have to be able to manage all that. I have to be able to move forward. When that happened, you know, I was awarded my SSDI. I was getting a check. I was living with my mom and dad. And I'm like, is, is this it? Am I, 37, 38 years old, going to live with mom and dad my whole life. I didn't want to settle at that. I, I, I thought there has to be more. This is, this is not okay to just be okay getting a check mm-hmm. from the government and living at mm-hmm. home with mom and dad. So I dove into it. I wanted to know everything about my diagnosis. I wanted to know about the symptoms. I wanted to know about the medication. Not that not that the diagnosis defined who I was, but it was definitely a part of the whole of me. And how, how was I going to go about my daily living without that diagnosis interrupting my daily life to the point where I wasn't useful? I, I couldn't accept that. I couldn't accept that. Um, and so that's when I started really engaging in, in, learning about my diagnosis, what it was about, really, really paying attention to onset of symptoms. Um, Mm -hmm. Instead of, instead of like trying to ignore them or this isn't really happening. And lots of times I would Mm -hmm. just fall into my symptoms Mm -hmm. and becoming fully aware of them so that I could utilize the information that I was getting from my mental health center to be able to put them in check and not let them Mm -hmm. take over large parts of my day. That's kind of what I meant by investing. I, I, I reinvested Mm -hmm. in myself, wasn't ashamed of it. I owned it, so to speak, and moved forward. Symptoms still happen. And I just, I just deal with them on a daily basis. And I don't allow that to be, the larger portion of my day, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah, I hear what you're saying. I think one of the areas that I really invested in in the beginning and has just I've just continued to do it. I don't even it's become second nature now is education is educating myself on mental health, substance use, suicide survival. Um, you know, we're talking, I first got into recovery, this is in the mid nineties. And I would go to my local library and I literally checked out every book they had. And I would read them trying to educate myself and learn and, and when I say check out every book, I don't mean a book on mental illness. I mean, I'm reading biographies, autobiographies. I'm reading stories about people who had diagnoses. And it was, it was very inspirational to me to find out Abraham Lincoln, you know, suffered from depression, right? It was like, wow, he had a mental health diagnosis and he became president. Right. You know, Eric Clapton, you know, guitar player, musician. Right. Wow. He had a, a drug problem and he became this uh, world renowned guitar player. So I found hope in educating myself and it began to show me what was possible. But I had to be invested in going to the library and getting the books and sitting in the library and reading them and checking them out. And once I read everything there, I took interlibrary loans and got books from, from other libraries so that I could learn because, you know, in the mid nineties, we didn't, you know, we didn't have cell phones with apps and, you know, it wasn't, wasn't at your fingertips. And so, you know, you had to do some work, but that required me to be invested in, and, and I had to put the time in. And then that, that has stayed with me, you know, 20, 20 years later, still educating myself on recovery and whenever I hear about a person who especially like today you know famous people come out much more than they did 20 years ago and say oh I have a diagnosis I'm bipolar or borderline personality disorder or whatever I really I take the time to read about them and what they're saying or if they have you know a video or a TEDx or you know whatever um, and I keep educating myself and I find a lot of inspiration from that. And I gain knowledge about my own experience and it helps me to know I'm not alone. And that's a big part of my plan is to continually educate myself and learn for sure. For sure. You know, when you, yeah. you know, when you were talking about, I can't remember exactly what I said, but I, I, I had a thought when you were talking about SUD and mental health. Mm -hmm. For me, in it was super, super easy to identify myself as having addiction issues. It was mm -hmm. really, really obvious, and so I. It was like undeniable. I couldn't deny it. Okay, mm -hmm. I need to work on that mm -hmm. issue, but. On the mental health side, it was, I had such a challenge with accepting all of that to be able to move forward. It was so key for me to accept who I was for me to be able to 
develop any sort of plan that was going to be sustaining to have any quality of life. For me, being co-occurring, there was kind of a, okay, so I have addiction issues. I get it. I'm going to need to work on that. But I didn't know the impact of the mental health side that if I didn't address that, the plan for the for the addiction issue wasn't going to go anywhere because I was going to go self-medicate eventually. So it's fully accepting everything about who I was and the path that I was going down was key for any type of planning to come into play and to move forward. I, I, I hear what you're saying. I absolutely hear what you're saying. You know, back in the nineties, they told me I had a dual diagnosis. They didn't even call it co-occurring. It was so long ago. It was different terms. And the same thing, I think in the very beginning, it was very easy for me to tell someone I have a drinking problem, you know, cause you're in the hospital, you're gone and people are, you know, you come back and people are like, where have you been? And it was very easy to say, you know, I have a drinking problem. It was very hard for me to say, I have a mental health diagnosis. And I definitely played that uh, scenario in my head for a long time, the chicken or the egg, right? And, oh, was the drinking causing the mental health issues or is the mental health issues causing the drinking, both of which are causing me to want to kill myself. So, you know, trying to figure out and then eventually I just sort of gave up on that. I want to answer one of the one of the questions here. So there's a question when I was researching my diagnosis and treatment, was it difficult to get through the medical jargon? Yeah, of course. I mean, especially in the very, very beginning, I didn't have the vocabulary to even articulate what I was experiencing. So in some ways, it was easier for me to read about somebody else's experience and then relate it to my own even if it wasn't exact. And then I just sort of, you naturally begin to learn the, the lingo, if you will. And then I think also going to therapy and meeting with psychiatrists, you know, you begin to learn what you don't say, oh, this is my symptom in the beginning. You just say, this is what's happening to me. And then you begin to pick that up and then understand how it all begins to fit together. But there were so many biographies and autobiographies that I read. One that totally comes to mind, just talking about it, was if you ever read the original book, Girl Interrupted, which became a big movie with Angelina Jolie, and uh, I think it's Winona Ryder, I think is in it. That became a huge hit, but I actually read the book beforehand I think the woman's name is Susan Kaysen, I think is the woman's name, the author. And it's her story of being hospitalized psychiatrically and her experience. And I remember reading that and thinking, oh my gosh, I had a similar experience in the hospital. Like, it's so strange. It's such a strange experience. And I didn't think anyone could possibly understand um, because I was still in that mode of, I'm not like these people. You know, I was still, I still sort of had that mindset. And I remember reading that and it was the first time I was like, oh my gosh, there's somebody who is like me and they too were in the hospital. And all of that helped me to make sense of 
what was happening because I don't know if you had this experience though. It's so confusing. It's just so confusing, and my my brain wasn't able to put things into sequential order or proper order, and then not having the language and that really was hard for me. I know for me, a lot of those medical terms and things like that, when I was hearing them for the first time, I guess the word would be humiliation because some of the terms I caught and kind of got and then other terms I didn't get. And, and so the ones that I did get and understood still weren't something that I wanted to hear. You know, took a while for me to sort all those things through. Sometimes it's sometimes difficult and hard um, to relive some of those first two or three years of recovery. I still look back at that and go, "How did I? How did I stay on this road? How did I manage to work through some of the?" the really, really difficult, hard stuff that we have to work through. There's another question here. It says, do you go back to our root materials like the dimensions and principles when you feel like something needs to change? Now, I don't know if I completely understand that question, but I was thinking maybe they were thinking about the four dimensions of recovery. What I know for me is, is, and I still use this principle today, if I know something needs to change in the way that I'm doing things or choices that I'm making, I usually pose that question or put that out there to my recovery team, whether it's 12 steps groups or my therapist or, or even my spiritual leader. And if I hear something three times, three times, sometimes two, that comes mm-hmm. from different sources, mm-hmm. then I know then I know I need to pay attention to it because sometimes mm-hmm. I don't trust my own judgment on what I should and shouldn't change. And I need a yeah. recovery support group around me because my judgment isn't the best all the time. And my mm-hmm. ego gets in the way and I'm self-serving mm-hmm. and I need I need a group of people that are willing to hold me accountable that actually have my best interests in mind to be able to make a decision for some sort of change in my life. Yeah. Yeah, Bill, that's really good. Yeah. I mean, I think for me, you know, to answer this question, I mean, yes, you know, I, I think, you know, when I started out, I wasn't introduced to the dimensions and the principles. I mean, it took a long time before someone even told me I could recover like it took a long time. Like no one even said recovery is possible. Like no one said that the message was the opposite. The message was you're going to take medication the rest of your life. You should probably go on disability. You're not going to be able to work. You know, it was a very negative approach in the beginning. And that was very defeating. And that was really difficult. And so I would say, yes, to the question now in my recovery, yes, I can reflect back and I can look at the principles, but I think, you know, when we've been talking primarily about the first few years in recovery, then my answer would be no. And and that 
kind of goes back to where we started. It really depends on where you are in your recovery journey because, you know, Bill, you, you, you said this, not trusting your own thoughts at times, not being able to do that. And I, I have always felt sort of losing my mind and mm-hmm. being hospitalized eroded my confidence mm-hmm. in my own thought process. Oh, and yeah. so even today, 20, right, 20 some years later, I still have to kind of check myself. And I know there's times where I mix things up and I don't read something correctly or I don't type something out correctly. And I can mix up things like as simple as sentence structure. I can mix it up in my mind. It's right. But when I go back and reread it, the sentence is all mixed up. Right. And self-confidence when I'm thinking through trying to logically think through a project, step A to step B to C to D kind of thing, I do mix it up. And I have to accept that about myself and say, I don't have clear or linear thinking at all times. There are times where my thoughts are jumbled up and I can't logically sort of think it through. So you find ways to adapt like writing it down, like asking someone, which is what you're talking about, is I need to check in with some other people and say, is this, am I tracking correctly? And they say, oh no, you got B and D are mixed up, you know, and they help you flip it into the proper order, so. I just had a thought about recovery planning and how in the beginning you picked six days a week to do one thing for your recovery. As I think about it, part of my recovery plan, big picture, is that I have a daily recovery routine that mm. is, mm-hmm. is almost almost ritualistic. That daily recovery routine is definitely part of the plan to stay mm-hmm. on the right track, to continue yes. down the right road. And so... I just, I just had that thought and, uh, you know, sometimes these recovery plans that we come up with are, they evolve and they develop over mm-hmm. time as, as we are mm-hmm. working some sort of recovery plan. The daily recovery routine for me, mm-hmm. more times than not, and I'd have to say mostly during difficult times, my recovery routine that's ritualistic, that never varies, has kept me on track and on the right path because mm-hmm. I have all those people in place to keep me accountable, to check in with, because mm-hmm. my thinking is definitely not clear all the time. That mm-hmm. daily recovery routine really, really is definitely part of the recovery plan in whole. Excellent, excellent. All right. Well, uh, we are going to wrap up. This has been another really good episode. Bill, I want to say thanks for uh, being my co-pilot here today. Really good, good topic. Right. And, uh, and and like I said in the beginning, yeah, like uh, this different sort of approach with recovery planning, we're talking about it in, in kind of a different way was, was really, was really good. And I hope all of you out there watching and listening I hope you also enjoyed it and got something out of hearing Bill and I talk about our early experiences. 
Yeah, enjoy being part of your guys' recovery as well. Yeah, absolutely. Well, please tune in. We are doing Facebook Live events every other Thursday. We start at 1030. I think next, who's on? I think Ashley's coming on, right? You and, and Ashley, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we're going to change it up. And then the week after that, it'll be Bill and Ashley. And so please keep on tuning in. And we love the questions, the comments. Thank you. That helps us uh, as we move along and helps with the dialogue. So thanks a lot. And uh, keep up the good work in your recovery. Have a great day, guys. Bye-bye. Recovery works and recovery is possible. Recovery works and recovery is possible. Recovery works. Recovery is possible. Recovery is possible. <laughs> recovery works and recovery is possible. Recovery works and recovery is possible. Recovery works and recovery is possible. Recovery is possible.